0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, good morning. Um, if you don't mind, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew four seventeen, 17. And uh, we're going to get started here in just a moment. Wanted to share with you about our first service. Um, we had a number of people... Accept Christ, we baptized seven. Four of those were scheduled, and three of them decided to get baptized after we started. And uh, that was a good. Um, and several of those, there was a, there was a young uh, college-age gentleman in our, that goes to our early service, and um, he felt led to start a Bible study with some of his friends, and so far four of his friends have come to accept Christ. So, you know, the, the main thing I want to just praise God about, and I want to encourage you to be praying about is just how God's moving in college students and in teenagers. Um, that's really one of the, um, the great earmarks of a movement of God in this country is when he begins to move in those who are our leaders of tomorrow. And so we want to be praying for them. And if you know um, college students, teenagers that are trying to follow the Lord, encourage them to continue and to be strong in that. You know that age that, that, that aren't, encourage them to come to church, encourage them to be part of a Bible study. And let's see what God can do there. And so it's exciting to be a part of that. Um, We're starting. I'm starting a new series today called "Why." Some of those questions of you know we have, but we don't ask sometimes. And and the question today is why do I need to repent? And that's uh, as a Christian in a church, you 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 think of repentance as something that people that don't know the Lord need to do, that those who are without Christ. But you know that most of the time in the Scripture when that word is used it is actually directed toward God's people and so I want us to talk about I want us to kind of see what does repentance look like what does the fruit of repentance look like and I want us to have a better understanding about what that means um, by the end of the day and I hope that that God will do that so if you would please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word and remain standing after I read it we're going to pray. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your Son and for your Word. And Lord, I pray today that you would move in our hearts as you choose, that Father, you would speak your Word to your people and to those who are here who don't know you, that you would draw them to Jesus. Father, whether they remember a word I say matters nothing to me, but Father, they would remember how you spoke in their hearts and into their lives. And Father, we give you freedom to move as you wish and to do in us whatever it is that you want to do. Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that, that word repent is something that we don't you don't hear very often. And it is often associated with movements of God in this country and with revival. But most of us know it from... You know, images on TV of a, of a homeless-looking guy standing on the street corner saying, Repent, the end is near. And um, that's not what Jesus said. He said, The kingdom of heaven is near. And I want you to understand there's a simple term about that defines what repent means. It means to turn away from. It means to turn away from your sins and to turn to God. But I also want us to see some, some kind of uh, aspects in the Scripture of what that looks like, of what God is looking for from His people. And what does repentance look like? And in Jeremiah five three, it tells us what God is searching for. It says, Lord, you are searching for honesty. And he's not talking about amongst those who don't know him that are not his people. He's talking about his people. You've struck your people, but they paid no attention. You crushed them, but they refused to be corrected. They are determined with faces set like stone. They have refused to repent. You know, we're, we live in a, a day and age where we can put out more information about ourselves than ever before. And we can see more information about the people around us that we know that we come in contact with than ever before. And so we know more about them. They know more about us. But there maybe is less honesty between us than at any other time. Because we've kind of all learned to cultivate the image of what we want people to know about us. You know, we put on there... You know, you can go through, look through there and see what a bunch of your friends had for dinner last night. You can see what, what games their kids were playing in. You can see the, the wins. You know, they always post the wins, not always the L's. You ever notice that? Hey, our team won, but you know not we lost because we stunk it up. We put out what we want to put out. And so we, we tell people what we want them to know, and we've learned to be careful about what we don't want people to know. So we, we've kind of learned how to stay away from, for the most part, controversial things or things that could open us up for criticism or things that people would cause people to look at us differently. And so we put out there what we want to be out there. And one of the things that it's done is, is it, it's caused our relationships to be largely superficial. You know, and it's different than it used to be because in the days past, you didn't know all these things about people. And when you got together with them, you talked about things that mattered a little more. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, when I first started in the ministry, you would you could go by people's houses. You know, if somebody visited your church, they, they expected you to show up within the next three or four days at their doorstep and say, hey, we just wanted to welcome." Now they, you know, you show up at their door and you, they don't know you're coming. You're liable to be met with a weapon or with people at least in their jammies. You never know. And so people, we don't do that anymore. You know, and people used to just drop by. I remember my grandmother in the kitchen making lunch, and I, and I was staying with her for a summer. And I'm like, Grandma, you're making enough food for like 12 people. She says, well, I don't know who will eat it, but somebody will come by. And she was right. They would just drop by and eat lunch and sit around and talk and drink coffee after they were done. And, and there, were, there were relationships that were built. And now we kind of live in this superficial realm. We want somebody to know something, we'll just post it on Facebook. You know, I'm in a relationship. I'm single. It's complicated. Whatever. But what does that mean? You know, when somebody puts on here, it, it's complicated. I'm like, yeah, they all are. I mean, all relationships are complicated. So we know that. But you, you know things about them, but you don't really know them. And one of the things that God is searching for for his people is not that we just do the superficial things, but that we're honest before him, that we're honest in his church. And you know what? We've We've really tried to build a culture in this church where when somebody comes here, they can be honest about who they are. We're not interested in just the superficial things. You know, a church should be a place where you can come and you need to confess something or you need help with something. You ought to be able to come and ask for it and and find people that want to help. And that's what we strive to be. Do we always hit that? No, we fail just like everybody else. But we want you to know this is not a church where we want to just make sure that the superficial things are taken care of. We want to know. We want to know each other. And we want you to know God that way. And you know what? If you're not careful, you can have a really superficial relationship with God. You know, you can have that canned prayer before dinner, and that's it. That's the only prayer you have. And you know what? Sometimes prayer is just pouring out your heart before God. And sometimes it's just listening. And sometimes it's praying for someone else. And sometimes it's just, God, I've messed up. We need to have that kind of honesty before him. And repentance is honest. And it's real. And it's not always clean and pretty. Most of the time it's messy. And that's okay. The second thing, sometimes repentance, there's pain that goes along with that. There's remorse that goes along with that. In Second Corinthians seven, eight through ten. This is in Second Corinthians, because first Corinthians, if you read through there, Paul read the, the church at Corinth the right act. He said, I hear you're doing this junk, you best stop it. I'm gonna be there soon. And you don't wanna hear what I'm gonna tell you in person if you don't get this. I mean, it was a, it was a harsh letter. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians, in 7, 8 through 10. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Because honesty can be painful sometimes. And honestly, that's the best honesty there is, isn't it? It's honesty that sometimes is painful. To receive and to give is the kind that that is most needed. He says, look, I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. You know, we've kind of gotten, as a believer, that that whole question about why do I need to repent? It's because we get caught up. Hey, man, my sins are forgiven. I'm good. Okay, I blew it, but I'm going to move on the next day. Like it's no big deal. Our sins should cause us sorrow sometimes because it causes the God that we love, the one who gave himself for us to be offended. You know, sometimes I think we forget, well, it's not that big a sin, but the fact is sin is sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. The sin that I think isn't that big a deal put Jesus on the cross. That's just the truth of it, and sometimes we forget about that. We need to remember what our sin costs, and Jesus showed us what it cost. He said, it was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. See, that's the thing. Real sorrow over having sinned against God and the cost of it puts that in us to not want to do that again. You know what? If if the, the sorrow you have over your sin doesn't cause you to want to not hurt and to not offend your father that way again, then you're not treating it seriously enough. Real repentance, there is a sense of sorrow. Now, at the same time, you've seen people, hey, I see them all the time. I love watching them daylines and all them 2020s, you know, where people try to get away with murder. And then in the end when they're getting sentenced, they're always, oh, they're all sorry then. Everybody's sorry then. But real sorrow, real repentance leads to a change of actions. So there's two parts to, to repentance that are necessary. Number one, you got to be serious. you got to understand the seriousness of your sin, and you got to be serious about not doing it again. Both of those things. Worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. You see, all kinds of worldly sorrow. And you know what? We've probably all been sorry just because we got caught. And you can be that way without really being repentant. God's looking for real repentance. Now, we can't always tell from the outside whether it's real or not. But God does know. He can't be fooled. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. You know, sometimes we think, well, I did this, so I'm gonna try to do good. And doing good is always a good choice. God wants us. As a matter of fact, it says he prepared good works beforehand so that we should walk in them. But a real repentant response to our sin before God is a broken heart. It's a repentant heart. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know, we've gotten away from that in the church. And, and I'll be the first one to tell you, there are certain things and, and certain parts of sin that you ought not repent in front of everybody. I, I, I fully believe that. There are sin, if there's a sin in your heart, you need to repent that before God. If, you have a, if you've sinned against someone else, you need to repent and ask for, ask for forgiveness before God and before them. And if you've sinned publicly, you need to confess publicly. And it doesn't mean it has to be a lot of detail. But sometimes we need to confess. Confess your sins to each other. And here's part of what that does. is Number one is that we, we bring glory to God by saying, hey, you know what? I messed up. But God forgives me. And I'm going to confess this to you, is it draws us closer, and the second thing is it brings accountability. You know, the first year, everybody's got New Year's resolutions, right? Sometimes we put those out, hey, I'm going to do this, and we want people to ask us, "How hey, are you still doing that? But sometimes we don't want to put it out there, and we don't want to tell anybody what our resolution is, because deep down we ain't really sure we're going to keep it or we want to keep it. And we don't want nobody bugging us if we decide we don't want to keep it. Am I right? How many of y'all said, I ain't, ain't telling nobody about this one. I'm going to keep that right here. So if I don't do it, then ain't nobody going to know. That's the opposite of accountability. Now, I understand that if it's about joining a gym. You ain't got to put that out there. But let me tell you something. When you confess a sin to people, you're asking for accountability. And accountability matters. Second Chronicles, this is one of the best pictures of repentance, I think, it's in the Bible. And it's a guy that if you just looked at him, you wouldn't think he deserved repentance. He didn't deserve forgiveness. He was the most evil king in the history of all Israel. Not only that, he, was the lo- he had the longest reign of any king of Israel. You might think, well, why wouldn't God remove that evil king? Well, maybe they got the leader they deserved. That's all I'm saying. Y'all think about that. This is kind of a long scripture here, but we're going to go through it. I want you to see how evil Manasseh was, and I also want you to see what happens. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. Now, you might think, well, I bet his dad was evil too. He wasn't. His dad was one of the most righteous kings in the history of Israel. Hezekiah. He rebuilt the pagan shrines that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. Those were different gods that the people that were in the land they took over had worshipped before they got there. That God told them, don't worship their gods. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshipped them. If you came to this dude and said, hey, you want to worship the Lord God Almighty? Nope. Well, hey, how about you worship this Yehu I made up? I'll do that. He was all for it. He worshiped anybody except the Lord. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord. You understand that? He went into the temple. Where at that time there was separation between God and the people, and God would come into the temple in his presence. And that was as close as people could get to it. And he went in there where the presence of God had been and set up pagan altars. He put these in the place where the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Now, if you think, well, that's, that's bad, it gets worse. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley in Ben-Hanam. He, he sacrificed his own children to the god of Molech. Sacrificed his own children. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft. And he consulted with mediums and psychics. So if you just put the big whole thing there, everything you can think of that would be the worst things you could do, and put them in one box, he opened the box and did every one of them. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. And you know what? If that wasn't enough, here's what else he did. Manasseh even took a carved idol he had made and set it up in God's temple, the very place where God had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. He set up an idol in the house of God for people to come and worship a false god. If the Israelites would be careful to obey my commands... All the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses, I will not send them into ex- exile from this land that I set aside for your ancestors. But listen to this, but Manasseh led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. You want to know how evil the pagans were? That's where Sodom and Gomorrah was. That's where a couple times God had his people pass, and he said, look, he said, I, you're not going to have the land yet because the people in there, they're evil, but they haven't gotten to the end of evil. Their time's not yet because they're, they're, their evil is not yet full. It's not complete. They still, they're bad, but they can even do worse. And they got to worse. And the Bible says, Manasseh did more, he he went farther and more evil and more twisted than even they did. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. Over and over again, God sent them a warning. Over and over again, God told them, you need to turn away from that, you need to do right. I mean, if I was God, the moment he put that idol in there, I'd have been sending lightning strikes all over the place. Wouldn't some of y'all? I've been like, that's enough. I'm done. But man, God is merciful. But I want you to understand something. Don't mistake God's mercy for forgetfulness, He doesn't forget. And don't mistake His mercy for agreement. And don't allow His mercy to make you think that he is not also a God of wrath. Because he is. So here's what happened. The Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose. And not one of them a little pretty like, you know, although that one's one I just do not understand. My nose itches every time I see one. It's, it's, I'm, I ain't trying to go there. I'm not going there. But I'm like, I want to itch my nose every time I see one but they didn't put one of those they put one through there like you put in a in a bull's nose so you can control them and lead them around and they can't resist see my nose my nose still itching <laughs> they put a ring through his nose and bound him in bronze chains and led him away to Babylon now here's what I want to tell you there's some of y'all that are living you're chained and you're being led around and you want to know There are people that that don't know God yet that that Jesus was sent so that you could be free of that. But understand something anyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's what Jesus said. And when you choose deliberate, willful sins in your life and you won't repent of them, you are chained. I'm not chained, I'm free. Really? How many lies have you had to tell? How many people have you had to hurt? How many times have you had to sneak around? How much damage has it done? Has it cost you respect among people that you love? Are you willing to stand up among your church family and say, I do this? Or is it something you want to keep hidden? Now, I'm going to tell you, if you, if you want to keep it hidden, there's some hope for you. You know what really bothers me? is people that are sinning and going against the things of God, and they don't care who knows. They don't even have a conscience about it anymore. Those are the ones that really concern me. But the ones that have a conscience... There's still hope. The Bible talks about those with a seared conscience. So that's I'm concerned about you. But if you're sinning, you're enslaved to sin. And your fellowship with God is broken. Now it doesn't mean your relationship with God is broken, but your fellowship is broken and things aren't right. Manasseh was part of God's people, his chosen people. And he was as far away from him as you could possibly imagine. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, The Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. Do you want to know what moves the heart of God? It's when we come before him and we humble ourselves before him. It's not when we pretend to have it all together. It happened for Manasseh. He moved, this evil man moved the heart of God when he confessed his sins, and when he humbled himself before God and prayed. See, some of us as believers, that, we need to repent. Now here's what God did. He, you know, I couldn't, if, that, if that's where the story ended, I'd be like, well, you know what? God knew if he was sincere or not, but I, I, there's no way I could know that. But it doesn't end there, because next comes the proof of repentance. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Now, it doesn't say how he did that, but they let him go or took him back or whatever, and he became king again. He went right back. But he wasn't the same guy. So he goes and he builds the walls high and he, he, he stations military officers. And then it says, Manasseh also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the Lord's temple. He tore down all the altars he had built on the hill where the temple stood and all the altars that were in Jerusalem, and he dumped them outside the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and Thanksgiving offerings on it. He also encouraged the people of Judah to worship the Lord God of Israel. You want to know what the proof is that he really repented? There it is. He showed the fruit of repentance because he changed. And you know what? It doesn't say he he made plans when he got back to someday tear down those altars. He went and tore them down immediately. You know, sometimes in, in the church as Christians, we think, well, you know what? I'm planning on doing that. That's the same thing as doing it, and it's not. Well, I'm going to do that one day. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Nowhere in Scripture does God say, okay, I want you to someday, you know, when you're ready and you got everything lined out right and it's perfect, I want you to stop sinning. Hey, one of these days, you know, when, when, when you think it's the right time, I want you to obey me. Hey, somewhere down the road, I want you to be obedient. That's not how it works. When God says to do something, there's an urgency about it. Now, sometimes what God tells us to do is wait. That means we need to wait. Not go explore every means we can fix it ourselves, and then wait. Wait right then. We need to get things right. And repentance, there's an urgency about it. You know, I've had people come to me and say, hey, you know, I know I'm not doing right. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to fix that down the road. It's just complicated. That ain't repentance. Repentance is, man, things are wrong and I got to fix it now. You know what Jesus said? If you're at the altar and you're about to to give your offering to God and you realize that someone has something against you that you've wronged with them, you've done them wrong, you've sinned against them. You know what he said? Hey, don't you need to invite you need to have a good church service, give your offering, listen to the word, think about it, and then when it's over, go see if you can fix it. You know what he says? Leave your altar, leave your leave it right there. And go take care of it right in that moment. Go fix it now. So here's what I want to tell you. Quit thinking, you know, one of these days I'm, I'm going I'm to go make it right with that person. It's just not the right time right now. Or I want to do it this way. Do it as best you can right now. Maybe it's somebody and you want to talk to them face to face, but they're, they're out of the country. They're out, you know, they live somewhere else. And you can't get to them right now. Do the best you can. Write them a letter. Talk to them on the phone. Do the best you can. And tell them, I want to talk to you in person when I get the chance. I wronged you. I want to fix it. I want to make it right. If God's told you to stop doing something, Quit saying, well, you know, I got I to get this in order first. There's nothing you have to get right to be obedient. Getting obedient is what gets you right. So stop thinking, I got to fix all these other things, and then I can be obedient. You're not going to fix anything until you get obedient first. Stop putting it off. Obedience is for now. Those are the fruits of repentance. There's an urgency. And people go and they change. They don't just say, well, you know, I I know that's wrong and I shouldn't do that. and Keep doing it. That's not repentance. Matter of fact, that ain't nothing. That's hypocrisy. Now, there are things that come, there are fruits of repentance. The results of it that you can see in your life. And sometimes the lack of those is a sign that you need to repent about something. Now I always need to ask forgiveness, but is there something you're continually doing that you know is a sin? You know it's wrong. And you, you, you know you've sought comfort and you've found places where people would tell you, "Well, it's not really that big a deal. It's a big deal, because that sin that somebody's telling you is not a big deal? Jesus died as a result of that sin, so that you wouldn't have to. Now here's some of the results, the fruits of repentance. If you're sitting around, man, God doesn't speak to me, doesn't tell me what to do, you know, I I don't know. Sometimes the reason God's not speaking to you and telling you what's next and where your direction is and what he wants from you is because you haven't done the last thing he told you to do. You see, when God tells you to do something or not to do something and you go the opposite direction, he's not going to just tell you, oh, well, no big deal, keep going. He's waiting for you to do what he told you, or to stop doing what he told you not to do. And you know what that leads to? It leads to knowledge. Psalm 119, 98 through 104, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I'm always thinking of your laws. I'm even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I refuse to walk on any evil path, so that I may be remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you've taught me well. And you know what that does? Is instead of the word being your opponent, it becomes your friend, it becomes something that you long for. How sweet your words taste to me, they are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. That's one of the fruits of obedience. And if you're not, if you're, I don't know why God won't speak to me. Hey, there can be different reasons, but the first thing I'd check, is there's something in my life that God's told me to do that I'm not doing? Is there something in my life that God's told me not to do that I am? What does his word say? Your commandments give me understanding. Second thing, you know what? We all come across enemies in our life. We come across mountains, things that, that are a opposed to it things are like man this is going to destroy me this is going to kill me or this is going to stop me from being able to do what i want to do and and if you're not getting victory over those things in life if you're constantly being faced by enemies and they're always whipping you exodus 23 20 through 24 see i am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place i have prepared for you Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative, and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you are careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. It may be the reason you can't get victory over the enemies that are opposing you is because you're trying to fight them yourself. But when you are right with God and you are fighting his battles and you're being obedient to him, nothing, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Because the God of the universe is going to fight for you on your behalf. You know, and, and later on in that passage, says, I will send the hornet in front of you. Now, there's no real explanation in the Bible about what the hornet is. But I got all kinds of pictures, some big monster hornet, you know, stinging people. Or even a, can you imagine like a big swarm of hornets going up against somebody? I'd be running, all of us would be running, screaming like little girls. Hornets are not are bad news. But the picture there is that God will fight for you. But you know what it says? If you are careful to obey. If you are caref- careful to follow my instructions then I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you And the last the next thing is healing I'm not saying these are the only fruits of repentance there are others There's a restoration of that relationship with God And there's healing not just for you. But I, I don't know if y'all, I know y'all have noticed this. I've talked about it before. Our nation is, a, is becoming an evil place. There's all kind of evil that goes unchecked in this country. And here's the thing about that. That in the wake of that kind of evil, we want to get angry with the people that are committing. And I understand that. But all it's doing is, is creating more and more broken, hurting, hopeless people in this country. This country right now is filled with people that have no hope and that are hurting and that are empty because all these things they thought were, were going to take care of what that hole in their heart is not. Suicide rates are out of control, addiction is out of control because people don't have hope. And so, part of our job is to tell people about Jesus. That's right. But let me tell you what happens what God's people can do to heal all those broken to heal this land. Second Chronicles 7:14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways I will hear from heaven And I will forgive their sins and restore the land. The best thing that we can do as believers is to pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. And that's what repentance means. That is the most patriotic, loving thing you can do for your country. And then the last thing is this don't wait don't wait you know there, there are all kinds of there is a movement of God that's going on in this country it's happening in our young people it's happening across the, the nation and I don't know what it's leading to I don't know if it's going to last for a few weeks a few months a few years I don't know if it's going to maybe return our nation back to God You know, there was a time where like 15% of our entire population came to know Jesus during one of those movements. Can you imagine what that would be like? How much that would change America? And maybe that's where this is going. Maybe it's setting the stage and raising up another generation to lead the church for the next 50 years. Or you know what? Maybe it may be one of the signs that Jesus is coming back soon soon if I got to vote I'd be voting on the last one I'm ready for Jesus to come back I'm telling you I'm ready but let me tell you what none of us have any idea when that's coming and we may be in the, in, truly in the last days and so there's no time to waste because there comes a point where it's too late to repent Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 12 and when it becomes too late And we don't repent. There are those that are going to stand up in judgment against us, that are going to accuse us. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. The queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. So now that's talking about the generation that heard the gospel of Jesus and rejected it, but there is also an accounting for those who are believers and the life that we live here on this earth. We're going to have to give an accounting for it. it scripture says a couple of things specifically. Every careless word that we speak, we will account for. The works that we did, the things that, that we spent our life on, they're going to be tested and shown whether they were genuine, whether they mattered, whether they were of eternal significance, or whether it was just junk. And so all that's going to be revealed for everybody to see. So don't wait. Whenever Jesus says repent, it's repent now. Whenever he says the day of salvation is here, it's the day is now. And so here's what we're going to do in a moment. I'm going to give anyone that that would like to, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you have a right relationship with Him, and that you are going to have an eternity with God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to begin a relationship with Him, to be forgiven of all your sins. I I want to introduce you to Jesus. And some of you, I want to encourage you, don't put off. If God's put it in your heart and you know, you know what I'm talking about, I don't have to tell you. You don't even have to come talk to me about it. You know. If you need to repent, repent. If God told you to stop doing something and you haven't stopped, stop now. If God told you to do something, maybe you've been putting off being baptized. We'll take care of that today. In a moment when we pray, and I have people bow their heads to pray the prayer of salvation, if you know you need to be baptized, We'll, we're, we're gonna baptize people already. Women go to this side, men go to that side. There'll be people there waiting on you. And all of you know, well, I didn't bring any clothes. We got clothes. We got clothes for you. We got shirts. We got shorts. We got all the little undergarmenty things, men and women. And they ain't like reused. They're brand new. <laughs> all right. Now I ain't saying they say like Tommy Hilfiger on them or nothing. They don't. But they'll get the job, job done, and then you take them with you. We ain't going to give them to anybody else. It's all fresh. All you got to do is come get baptized. We have people come to Ford in the last service that didn't come here planning plan on getting baptized, but you know what? They left knowing they'd taken that step of obedience that God had told them to take. You can do the same thing. I'm going to tell you something else. If you're sitting in here and there's somebody and it's burning in your heart, I wronged this person and I need to make that right. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to tell them. I need to repent before God and them. And you need to slip out and go do that right now? Want to have people bow? Go ahead. Go ahead. Don't put it off. Repentance has an urgency about it. So now... Here's the thing. If you don't know Christ, there's three simple parts to it. Number one, you got to admit you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you know what? Jesus came, lived a sinless life for 33 years so that he, he could be the perfect sacrifice for your sins. He died for the sins that you committed so that you wouldn't have to. He made a way for you to be forgiven and set free. And he rose on the third day to prove to the world who he was and that he had power over death. And that proves you're going to live with him forever. And the last part is you've got to confess Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. So if you'd like to do that, if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know you're in right relationship with God and that that's gonna be forever, I wanna ask everybody in here, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're wanting to be baptized, you can slip out right now and go on. There'll be people ready to receive you. And I wanna ask you to pray this with me. So here's the thing. I'll pray it. You can repeat it after me. You can pray it in your own words. Just pray it in your heart. God will hear you. But pray it with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And thank you for Jesus. God, I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. I know Jesus is your son. I know that he died on the cross for my sins. And I know that He rose again on the third day according to the Scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior and I confess Him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer without anybody else looking around, here's all I'm going to ask you to do. You don't have to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything in front of people. But what I want you to do is I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you you prayed that today, look up at me right now. Okay. All right. Okay. One of the things I really want to encourage you to do is if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it and you want to be baptized, you can come on down right now and do it. But I would at least encourage you to talk to someone about it. And there'll be there's a number on the screen. You can just text save to that number and we'll text you back. And we'd love to set up a time to talk to you, to answer any questions, and to talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. Or at the end of the service, there'll be a a staff member right down here at the front. If you want to come talk to somebody today, we got people that'll do it today. Or if you'd rather just talk to somebody personally to set up an appointment, that's fine too. But tell someone. And so I want to pray for you and I also want to pray for those of us that God may be speaking to about something in our lives that we need to change. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for allowing us to be a part of your movement, of your kingdom, and of your family. And Father, I pray for those that were adopted into your family as sons and daughters today. I pray that you'd strengthen them, that you would Send other believers into their life to encourage them. And Father, speak to them through your word, through the Bible. And Father, each and every person here, I pray that God, you would search our hearts and let us know of any way that doesn't please you. Father, help us to be honest before you, to humble ourselves, to ask forgiveness, and to turn away and turn to you. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love for us. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.